This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Like a warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now, it's time for Coach Hogg's Locker Room. Here in the uh, Coach Hogg Locker Room, believe it or not, with a show for you today that's following, of course, the big event, uh, the big Super Bowl. So obviously we'll have to spend a little time on that in Coach Hogg's locker room. And we're uh, in the manly Warthog Man Cave, of course, inside the Miller Wall Studio, protected by crime prevention and sponsored by all the great sponsors you see here on the spot cleaners uh, our, and our construction, uh, good friends of ours who stay with us and help us and uh, bring you a show. And, of course, shoot GTR, uh, safe gun and training range. Uh, visit that if you want to get up to date and up to speed on how to handle your um, self-defense self weapon, that sort of thing. And, of course, we have our great contributors who help us out. Uh, we partner with a lot with Chronicle, and uh, we uh, try to keep you informed of what's going on in the community. Well, 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 you know, the Super Bowl. What can we say that hasn't already been said uh, that um, you might have your own opinion about, which is understandable, and uh, we don't have any problem with that. Of course, that's that's the way it works. Um, you know, it's, it is what it is. But uh, the uh, popular opinion is that it was really a very good contest, and I think it was a good contest. It kept our attention. It um, kept us uh, in suspense, and what else can you ask? And notwithstanding the ads and all the reaction people have to those, which we may or may not get into. But I, I thought no Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs is complete without a protest, which you may not have been aware of. Um, there was a, a Lavaldo uh, individual, uh, a Native American, who once again was pushing for the Chiefs to abandon the team's name, uh, the team's mascot, and the fan-driven tomahawk chop. And they've had this goal, and they've gone around uh, since uh, 2021 and um, put this out there for a protest when the Chiefs were uh, in Tampa, Florida. So uh, that's um, the indigenous activist group um, claims that the Chiefs and the hawk is not uh, in the honor of the Indian indigenous groups. And I would have to argue the exactly the opposite. When you have a team that plays like the Chiefs play and that win and that uh, do so with all the combat attributes that is attributed to um, many of the characteristics of the Indian indigenous nations, why, I think it's an honor. But who am I? Uh, there's always a, 
I guess, two sides of the coin. The anti-native mascot movement uh, has been expressed uh, all over the place. You remember the Cleveland Indians? Uh, they had a Chief Wahoo, which was a logo that was a caricature of a Native American. But, you know, it came to be viewed as, uh, as uh, disparaging. So uh, Cleveland Indians caved to, if you will, uh, that part of the woke agenda and got rid of Chief Wahoo. Perhaps the most dramatic instance of this in the NFL is Washington dropped the name Redskins and changed it to Commanders. Well, it didn't help their record any, but I guess it took care of people who were protesting. I think there's a protest for every single thing there is, and you just have to figure out which one is the flavor of the month. This one did not get legs, though, with the Kansas City Chiefs, it appears. The Chiefs, incidentally, have a long snapper named James Winchester, who is a citizen of the Ch Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. They have a center, Creed Humphrey, who's also of an Indian nation in Oklahoma. And uh, that would stand to reason. I had a very good friend with whom I coached, who was a full-blooded uh, um, indigenous uh, member, if you will, um, from Oklahoma, <clears throat> an All-American. Uh, but this uh, Lucinda Hinojo, she was born in Glendale, and she's uh, an Apache. And um, she was actually featured in her painting on the Super Bowl tickets. So Kansas City Chiefs have really, if you will, gone out of their way to kind of uh, address this in that they have an, uh, a native indigenous American whose painting is featured on the Super Bowl tickets. Um, they also have a uh, member of the Navajo Nation who performed the America the Beautiful during the game's pre-show. Um, they have a, um, a, a deaf person signing there who utilized both American Sign Language and North American Indian Sign Language, in case you didn't know it. If you were watching the beginning of the, of the event, you saw someone signing, and probably you did not know that some of that signing was in Native American Indian Sign Language. Um, so um, the team, however, cheerleaders evidently have changed their tomahawk chop from an open palm to a closed fist. And uh, as I guess, a kind of a tip of the hat to the protesters. Um, this is just the way some people uh, are. And I don't know if that satisfies your, um, um, your inclination towards protesting. Um, but there's, as I say, a protest for everyone, it seems. So um, the Kansas City team, by the way, started as the Dallas Texans. And when the franchise moved to Kansas City in 1963, it became the Chiefs. And the mayor at that time got permission from the Northern Arapaho tribe uh, to uh, use that name. And that name has been permitted by that tribe. So uh, the Native 
organizing protesters, if you will, um, may or may not get anywhere with the Kansas City Chiefs. I would suggest uh, they give that up and be proud of it rather than uh, annoyed, if you will, by it. Um, Gambling on the game um, was expected to reach a record-breaking level with more than 50 million Americans uh, projected to bet 16 billion on the championship game. Now, I haven't gotten the recent figures, but I've done a little more research on it. I'll go through it with you. It's kind of mind-boggling in that um, this gambling thing for which Pete Rose was kept out of the Hall of Fame because he bet on his own team. Uh, No one knows, for example, in pro tennis, how much of that's going on. It would be very easy uh, for a tennis player, it seems to me, to double fault, uh, hit the ball out of the, out of the, outside the line instead of on the line if there are enough money riding on it. Um, it's always been with us, the gambling world. There are people who are absolutely fanatical about it and bet on everything. I'll cover with you in a moment what some of the things are that they bet on. Um, they bet on, you name it, we'll cover it in a minute. But uh, about 30 million Americans um, made sports wagers online at both legal and illegal sites and uh, with both legal and illegal bookies. And this is according to a survey that's released by the American Gaming Association. And that's up about 66% from last year's Super Bowl. Um That's not to mention about 28 million Americans who plan to bet on the game casually with friends and through office pools and the like and contests. So the Gaming Association's estimate of $16 billion in legal and illegal bets is more than double last year's estimate of $7.6 billion. Uh, This estimate was based on a survey of nearly 2,200 adults. Uh, The gambling operators consider the Super Bowl to be a customer acquisition opportunity uh, uh, in addition to a huge moneymaker. Companies push to attract new customers, including more casual bettors during the big game. Now, this is being covered uh, by uh, many of the news outlets uh, this data is uh, is available to you um, if you um, kind of search around for it under the title of gambling. Uh, the uh, uh, the the uh, fan group dual group launched an ad campaign, for example, uh, that was expected to culminate uh, in uh, Rob Gronkowski attempting a field goal in a live commercial during the game. I don't think that happened, but at least I didn't see it. But Gronkowski is a huge uh, marketing, uh, uh, I don't know how to, uh, success. Just about, he's probably going to pass Shaquille O'Neal in what all the products are that he endorses. He is an absolute natural. He is funny. He's smart witty and people are rolling out to have him push their product for them. Um, so 
Uh, and that that is kind of a coverage of just a little bit of uh, if what you might glean if you looked around at the betting world. Um, the the uh, interesting thing uh, about the betting is that um, uh, Kansas is a, is a state with legal sports betting. So in the state uh, uh, where Kansas City, uh, uh, the Super Bowl, I mean, uh, in, in Arizona, um, where Super Bowl was held, is a state with legal sports betting. Um, two-thirds of the money bet on the spread was on Philadelphia, okay? Um, the the uh, thing, of course, gets all kinds of uh, subcategories, over and under, uh, combined points. Uh, I want to get into all that. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of prop bets, what's called prop bets, that are uh, such things as um, will there be a safety in the game? One of the ones that almost came true that you could bet on as a prop bet would whether there would be a kickoff or a punt return for a touchdown. Now, that came within two or three yards of actually happening. So uh, there's all these game prop bets. Um, they can bet on the passing yardage total, comparing the quarterbacks. Uh, they can – every single thing, like compare tight ends. Uh, they can compare uh, Travis Kelsey to A.J. Brown. Uh, that was one of the favorite prop bets. Um, uh Patrick Mahomes was the favorite uh, over uh, it was the favorite for being the MVP, and that turned out to be a sure thing. Patrick Holmes Mahomes was indeed uh, the MVP. I think uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it was at the end. Um, the the um, um, betting is here to stay. It's probably going to become much much more. Um, um, prevalent in sports all up and down and much more legal. If you're a fan of it, great. If you're not, you're probably just going to be increasingly frustrated. Well, one of the things that Jalen Hurts brought to the um, experience was he was probably the strongest powerlifting quarterback they've ever had in the NFL. This guy uh, was able to squat weight um, that was greater than that which the lineman could squat up in the 600-pound range. From having been a gym rat myself, I can tell you that is up with what we call the kingdom of the big pig. Um, that made him difficult to bring down, and uh, fortunately he um, didn't get away too much if you're a Chiefs fan. Uh, but he was, if you took a look at his legs, built like a power lifter, and guys who try to tackle him quickly found out how strong he was in the lower body. Uh, he was a coach's son, so he began from the very beginning uh, under the tutelage of his father. In 2014, uh, his father thought he might squat 400 pounds. He reached 440. Uh, when he finished it first in the 198-pound weight class, he was up to 500 and he just kept going from that point on. Um, so uh, he did a lot of weightlifting, squatting, bench lift, benching, and deadlifting. Um, 
He was uh, excellent at the squat and the deadlift. So that didn't carry him to victory, however, although he did play a pretty darn impressive game. It's just that Mahomes is better and more versatile. And those of us who kind of know the sport knew that from the beginning of that uh, Mahomes was the difference in this game. Even with an injured uh, leg, he was still uh, the one who who uh, carried a kind of an advantage, if you will. Um, I would say tangible advantage in that he um, just was able to perform at a higher level uh, when it came down to crunch time. So the Super Bowl had its share of betting. If you were a, a Chiefs fan, you, of course, uh, uh, feel good today. And and uh, nevertheless, it was a very entertaining sport event to watch. Ads, let's just talk a moment about them, were enormously, from my point of view, and generally from all those whom I've spoken with, pretty disappointing. Um, there really wasn't much there that it, it just seems as if they were trying to cram a whole lot in very little time. And I don't remember any of them. Um, the only one that kind of caught my eye was that um, our guy from the Greece world of movies um, no longer has hair, uh, at least didn't in the ad. Quite, quite amazing. I mean, it happens to all of us, I guess. Um, John Travolta. And uh, he still has a voice. and He's still a tremendous actor and talent. I did pay a little bit of attention to that ad just because he lives down the road from us here in Ocala is one of the big reasons. And uh, my friends see him quite frequently out and about there in Ocala. So um, I, I sort of paid attention. That's about the only ad I can remember. The halftime show, um, I, I didn't really, um, I didn't watch, you know, I went and um, did something else and whatever it is, got a log for the fire, whatever. And um, went on about, uh, waiting for the second half now, that I did not object to what is known as uh, the Negro spiritual uh, in the beginning. I love that song. I, you know what it made me think of is instead of all this hate and divisiveness and venom, the Negro race, and it's not going to be a pure race soon. We know that Faulkner predicted by, Oh, the middle of the 21st century, you wouldn't be able to tell the races. They'd all be DNA mixed up. And he's getting close to that coming true more and more every day. But the real strength, a real contribution to art in this world by the Negro race, and there were three races, Negro, Mongoloid, and Caucasian, is its spiritual music gospel, and that wonderful, wonderful voice. That, if that alone could, and, and Martin Luther King knew this, that alone uh, could calm the troubled seas, if you would. I mean, that is enormous, enormous influence on bringing tranquility and calm and spirituality to a community, a culture. 
I mean, it is, it just is. And I have always, I'm going to make a confession here. I have always, always uh, enjoyed the church choirs of the black churches. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I remember one time, I want to tell this story, when I was a little guy, I must have been only four or five years old. We were in New Orleans, and we were in a car, and the car stopped for what I thought was a parade. And so I asked my grandmother, with whom I was traveling at the time, what is this parade about? She says, this is not a parade. It's a Negro funeral. Well, the song that was being played and the, and the singing that was accompanied it, and there was music. I mean, there were there was a band, a band, marching band, was when the saints go marching in. And everybody was happy. And I said to my grandmother, I said, well, if it's a funeral, why are they so happy? And she says, because these are truly spiritual people. And they're real Christians. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. That was one of the most memorable moments. And I was only four or five years old. That I can recall. So, yes, I did like the opening of the Super Bowl. One of the small things I want to get into here before we get it back down to the bottom of the hour is uh, my good buddy, Steve Spurrier, who I go way back with. Um, don't hang out with much now, of course, but had a road named after him over by the Spurrier restaurant called Spurrier Way. And I think I'm going to tell this story that I've never told publicly before. I've told it to a few people and Steve wouldn't mind the story because it's true. Way back when, about 1965, when Steve and I, a lot of others, Armand Wages, we all lived in the same apartment complex out on Southwest 16th Avenue. And Steve and I were some time together then. And um, it was between the 65, 66 seasons. And one day Steve came up to me and said, what hole? Coach Graves wants me to get a job this summer. Well, it was summer and Coach Graves was wanting Steve to stay around in um, town and work out and get ready for the senior season. And he'd actually had Steve move out of our places there into the dorm. Kind of give him a Spartan world. But Steve said that Coach Graves wanted him to get a job. So Steve came to me. I was a couple years older. I was kind of the mentor of these guys. I was already coaching and teaching in Gainesville High. We had a mutual friend whom I had introduced Steve to who had a vacuum cleaner business. And I had already been that summer making money by selling or attempting to sell vacuum cleaners door to door. So I had the product. It was a Kirby. I knew how to break it down, put it together, and do the demo. So I told Steve, I said, Steve, let's go down and see Jim. He owned the 
Kirby business. And he was the fellow to whom I'd introduced Steve to, who lived down the apartment complex from us. And they'd become kind of friends. And so we went down, Steve and I drove down to Jim's business, place of business. And I remember we went back in the shop and I said, Jim, I said, uh, Coach Graves wants Steve here to get a job this summer. I think I got the perfect idea. Why don't Steve and I sell Kirby's door to door? And Jim said, well, that's a great idea. He said, you and Steve go together and Steve will get you in. And then once you're in, why well, you can do the demo board and y'all, you know, split the money. Well, that was great. Steve could see the advantage of that right away. He really didn't need to do any of the work. I'd do the work, but he'd be with me and he'd get some of the money. And that way he had a job. So we went out on a cold call, what we call a cold call in the sales business. And we were riding down the road and I said, now, Steve, I remember this is Steve Spurrier between 65 and 66 in the summer there. He was not yet the Heinzman Trophy winner, but he was darn sure a star by then. And we were riding down the road and I said, now, Steve, what we got to do is look for a house with a real nicely kept yard. And we can then suppose that if those people have a nicely kept yard, uh, they'll probably uh, want to have a nicely kept or will have a nicely kept house inside. And maybe they'd like to have this top of the line vacuum cleaner that uh, will interest them in when we stop at that house with a nice yard. So Steve, you know, me being a couple years older, Steve deferred to me and said, yeah, that, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So we're riding down the road and we saw, sure enough, pretty soon saw a house with a nice yard. I said, Steve, let's pull in there. So I can't remember who was driving either. I was driving, Steve was driving. Yeah, probably, I don't remember. But we pulled in that driveway. And we got out. He and I got out together. And I carried the doggone Kirby demo kit. Those darn machines were heavy. Steve walking up there empty-handed. That's Steve, you know. I'm walking up there carrying all the equipment. And so <laughs> we go up and knock on the door, a cold call. And the lady of the house comes to the door. And sure enough, I had figured it right. She was very uh, well-kept in terms of how she was dressed and everything. And so I was reasoning by that moment. We had pretty good sign possibility of success here. We had a nice yard. We had a nice uh, a lady who came to the door. And the first thing out of her mouth, the door had hardly been opened. I don't think she even noticed me, but she saw Steve. Steve and I were standing there together. And the first words out of her mouth were an exclamation, quite loud. And she said, honey, come here, come here. It's Steve Spurrier. And her husband came running to the door and the kids came running to the door. And I'm thinking, boy, we got us a winner here. We're going to sure make a sale here at this cold call. So she said, come on in, boys. 
what you got going on there? And I said, well, we're here. I'd like to introduce you to this fine cleaning machine. And just let me get it set up here and show you how it works. Well, fine. Go right ahead there. Well, the next thing you can guess the ending of this story, my good students. Here I am hooking up the demo. And it took a little work. You know, you had to assembly, assemble the handle and, and assemble the... And ideally, the potential buyer is watching you. Well, I'm setting this thing up in the living room by myself. There ain't nobody in the family watching me at all. And lo and behold, you can guess the ending of this. I look up and Steve Spurrier, who was at that time already, Steve Spurrier, the magic guy with the magic touch, was leaning up against the kitchen counter telling football stories to the family and they were enthralled and they never paid a moment attention to me setting up the vacuum cleaner. And at the end of the day, we never made that sale. We went away open empty-handed, but that dadgum family had been thrilled to have a personal visit to a man who at that time was darn sure a superstar, but not yet an all-American Heinzman Trophy winner. And when Spurrier Way was opened up here uh, Friday, I thought, boy, Steve, you sure come a long way, my brother, from the time we knocked on doors and made a cold call to the time you had a street named after you outside your own restaurant. But of course, Steve being Steve, I got to complete this story. You always got to be careful what you ask him because he'll give you the truth. And in the television interview that I saw, they asked him how he liked the Spurrier way. And he said in typical Steve Spurrier fashion, I've had enough things named after me. He says, I think the greatest honor was the stadium at Florida. He says, but now we need to start winning some football games. That is the Steve Spurrier I know, just as candid and as honest as you can get. That's my story. I don't think anybody in the public much ever knew this story. I've told it to a couple of my close friends, but that's about it. I don't think Steve would object to this. Heck, he might even have tried to forget it, but it was a true story. It was a lot of fun, and I don't know if it satisfied Coach Graves. We'll be right back in a moment on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, 
on-the-spot dry cleaners, R&R construction, and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, back live here on the Ward Scott Files of Ward's Weather Report brought to you by Lewis Oil. Well, it got down in the 40s a little bit here this morning. It's going to get up to about 70 here in the piney woods of north central Florida in God's country. I had a fire in the fireplace yesterday watching the uh, Super Bowl. So, I, you know, I didn't mind the cold snap too much. Um, the month of January, doing a little research on it, uh, typically has been one of the coldest months. Uh, but this year, it was record a warmth in seven northeast states, um, according to the National Weather Association. Uh, record-breaking warmth in Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, uh, Rhode Island, Vermont, and uh, New York was pretty warm. Pennsylvania was her second warmest. Um, the lower 48 had its sixth warmest, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It was a wetter than average month, though, in 35 states, as you know, quite a bit of rain and uh, 13th wettest January out in California. The big story here that I thought might be interesting to you is what we call the Great Toxic Dust Bowl. Uh, Utah, like most of the West, has a water problem, and we have a disappearing Great Salt Lake. Now, the problem with a disappearing Saint, a Great Salt Lake, which has hit historic lows, 800 square miles of lake bed exposed, uh, is that it has a, could create a toxic dust bowl, could become an ecological disaster because it has a, a lot of heavy metals in it. It's a terminal lake. Uh, it's fed by rain, snow, and runoff, but it has no rivers to take water to the ocean, so salt and minerals build up over time, and only brine, flies, and shrimp survive in the water. It cre has created a unique ecosystem that supports about 10 million migratory birds, uh, but with only sailboats and paddle boats on the lake, uh, 80,000 white pelicans naturally uh, annually rest on it uh, without fish. They don't get fish out of that lake. So uh, you got the lake shrinking, you got a habitat drying up, and you got what remains water that's too salty. Uh, and this can become a real frightening issue. Right now, 
the lake is on track to vanish, if you can believe this, in five years. Okay, completely vanish. And uh, this would create quite a situation. Um, so consequently, they're trying to figure out how to get more water to the lake. Um, this is not going to be an easy deal. Uh, they have a precedent, a frightening precedent. Uh, there used to be something called the California's Owens Lake. And it was drained by developers. I did not know this in the 1920s to build Los Angeles. Um, um, this uh, uh, really became a, a, a nightmare. A dust mitigation program uh, had to be created by the city uh, Department of Water and Power uh, after decades of moving water and gravel to control the dust. Uh, the bill for draining Owens Lake was $2.5 billion and rising. That created quite a problem. The problem in Utah with the Great Salt Lake would be much, much bigger. Um, there's been expensive proposals like piping water from the Pacific, uh, but that's pumping billions of gallons, 750 miles. Um, it is a ticking, great toxic dust bowl problem. Interesting. I've never seen the Great Salt Lake, but uh, uh, that doesn't mean, of course, it doesn't exist. Um, locally, I want to get into a couple of things that we are, Ward Scott Files, along with our investigator, instigator, Mark Glazer, are responsible for. And that is what we call voter beep. As you know, we have been kicked off YouTube permanently uh, because we dared to use the beep uh, uh, kind of um, um, word. You know what that word is. It begins with the F. Um, and it's a rankle the algorithms of the people who are hawking down a narrative that is contrary to the acceptable one for community standards. It's a really kind of nutty, but that's the world we live in. So um, because, and I have to say, uh, there's a lot of backroom conversations that I want to go into here with you about our legislators, but we got the word to the governor um, that this was more than just a passing problem of uh, uh, a voter beep here and a voter beep there. Um, this was a much bigger problem. And so the legislature has passed in a special session a bill that gives the Florida statewide prosecutor the power to go after people for election-related crimes. And this bill is headed to DeSantis for signature. It passed the House of Representatives on Friday on a 77-33 vote, and it's a top priority for the Republican governor, who last year approved the creation of this Office of Elections, Crime, and Security as a part of a sweeping voting overhaul. So the state Senate already passed the bill Wednesday 27 to 12 on party lines. And uh, since the Republicans hold supermajorities in both chambers, the governor will be signing it. What does the bill do? Okay. <clears throat> the bill clarifies that the state prosecutor 
which is a position under the Florida Attorney General, now has jurisdiction on election and voting matters. And that frees up the DeSantis administration to a sear prosecution of cases identified by the Office of Elections, Crimes, and Security to the Florida Attorney General's office, Ashley Booty, a Republican. And it takes it out of the hands of local elected district attorneys who could be, some cases, Democrats and counter interest in enforcing this. Now, of course, the ACLU and the Democrats and NAACP and the League of Hysterical Women Voters and all that bunch have called this a solution in search of a problem. We can guarantee you that this is indeed a problem. And you'll be seeing it as this gets rolled out more and more and more. Um, the bill is going to be, we project, quickly signed by the governor, and you'll begin to see the results of this very, very short. Um, the um, cleans up a mess that um, some of the defense attorneys were able to exploit by saying, well, uh, these voting issues took place in counties. Um, uh, this is not authority of the state. And so now it is the authority of the state. Um, the other thing that's interesting about what's going on with DeSantis is gun rights. And gun rights have been a Second Amendment kind of posture supported by Republicans. So you may not know this, but even locally here, when DeSantis came to the Black Tie Blue Jean uh, event held in Alachua in October, there were no concealed weapons allowed inside the event. And we had about 600 people in there. And there was one fellow whom I know real well who protested not being able to go in with a concealed weapon, and he was actually arrested. And that's all been dropped since. But let's talk about the issue that this brings up. Um, there were some people who decided... Well, I'm not going to go to the black tie blue jean. I'm a concealed weapon carrier. Our own chair of the Republican Party now, Tim Martin, being one of them, who's quoted in an article by the Washington Post. Washington Post is a very liberal outfit. They love writing negative things about DeSantis. And they have taken the position here that this reflects a negative thing about DeSantis, hypocrisy. He's for uh, concealed weapons. In fact, they're talking about even making it something you don't need a permit for. But yet he doesn't want any concealed weapons allowed at events where he is. And the purists are saying, arguing, well, if I have a concealed weapon permit, I should be able to carry it into an event where the governor is speaking, uh, notwithstanding the, uh, the fact that it's the governor. And the governor's advance team has, has asked the local authorities to, for the sake of the protection of the governor, do a, um, a search or prevent 
people, even with concealed weapon permits, from entering the area where the governor is speaking. I thought a lot about this, and I tried to figure out where I stood on that because I am concealed weapon carrier licensed. But I wouldn't take a weapon into an event where the governor was speaking personally. And I'll tell you why. In that event where the governor is speaking, where there's security, both of the governor and of the event, I don't feel I have a special need to defend myself. That's the point of a concealed weapon permit. Now you can argue, and this is something I'm just throwing it out there for you to think about. Well, when you go into the restaurant, do you feel a need to defend yourself? Well, let's talk about that. Is the restaurant swept for weapons before I come in? No. Are the people who come into the restaurant checked for concealed weapons before they come in? No. Therefore, the restaurant, in my mind, is potentially far more dangerous, if you will, or susceptible to an irrational person being in it, for whatever reason, than the political event, which is carrying several layers of security. So, for me personally, I would not protest I would not complain about being prevented from entering an event where the governor was with a concealed weapon. Even though I had a legal permit and I go to our gun range, shoot GTR, quite frequently to practice. On the other hand, it's a different story. Walking around in public, which has no preventive security. In fact, I would even make the argument, well, I'm not the only one making the argument, that increasingly, as the woke left liberals complain about the police and the police you lose employees, there's going to be more and more vigilante behavior and where people have money 
their neighborhoods, they will actually hire their own private security force. This is already taking place in certain parts of this nation. As the police encounter situations like telling the canine dog handlers they can't have dogs, as that happens, there'll be more and more people who will feel uncomfortable in public, all places in public. So I've thought about this because the Washington Post has a long article about it. Tim Martin, the current chair of the Alachua County uh, Republican Party, is quoted as saying that he did not attend the event in October, black tie blue jeans, because they were disallowing people who had legitimate concealed weapon permits to have concealed weapons in the event. For me, I did not protest that because I didn't feel in that event and this is the kicker, I would have a special need, a special need to defend myself. It's an interesting moment in the search for a way to criticize DeSantis. And the point of the Washington Post thing is, look what a hypocrite the Republicans are. And there's going to be more and more and more of that as they constantly in the press say that DeSantis is weighing a potential bid for the Republican presidential nomination. Well, of all things, the New York Times, which is a very left-leaning publication, as you know, has quite an analysis here of DeSantis, which I thought I'd share with you in the 10 minutes or so we have left. What are they thinking on the national level about DeSantis? Well, the New York Times, and this article is written by um, their political analyst, Nate Kahn. They're comparing, in this article, DeSantis's, how shall I say this, uh, charisma, if you will, or attractiveness as a potential candidate for president to Barack Obama and Ronald Reagan. That's pretty high company. Right now, according to the Times, without even trying, DeSantis has a 32% support in polls 
taken since the midterm elections. And he makes steady gains in the polls, even though he's really not specifically trying to make gains in the polls. And even though chipping away at him are people, publications like the Washington Post. The Times says it's striking how rare it is for a first-time candidate to have this level of support. Since 1976, there are only six candidates who had not previously run for president or vice president who have managed to consistently attract more than half of Mr. DeSantis' support in the early polls. He is in rare company. And the New York Times says his political strength is impressive. And here are some reasons, particularly why it's impressive. Unlike three of the six candidates, and the six candidates that they're looking at are Ted Kennedy, George W. Bush, Hillary Clinton, Rudy Giuliani, Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama, and of course, Sanders. Unlike three of these six candidates, he is not the direct relative of a former president. He is not a nonpartisan national hero. He does not benefit from family name or exceptional events like 9-11. His popularity is derived from his political capital accrued from his policy stands that he's made, particularly those which are out there. The Reedy Taxing District, the move just now to form a selection committee, well, beep investigating committee. The nation is liking what it's seeing and hearing about DeSantis what, 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 without DeSantis even addressing the nation. He only addresses his own state constituency. He is considered to be, even by the New York Times, ahead of the game already, particularly when compared to, of all people, Obama and Reagan. Obama and Reagan. And in spite of the fact that there's this search to find something, an Achilles heel somewhere, that can make him out to be a hypocritical politician, such as the article by the Post about 
his stance on the Second Amendment. And his security at his public events. And I'm using myself as a kind of a, a criterion here. I have no problem with uh, Governor DeSantis being secure. And you know, a lot of this is a result of his stance. I remember when I was the Senate president of Santa Fe, President uh, Governor Bush came to the college. Governor Bush came in an Explorer Ford station wagon. He was riding shotgun in the seat, what we call shotgun. He had some security, a guy with him in there. And then he had a car behind him of security. That was it. That was it. But that's a different time. That's a very different time. I remember when Senator Graham did me a favor and came to Santa Fe to address our student body. He drove himself out there. He had one companion with him. I don't think there was anybody harmed anywhere near him. I traveled quite a bit with Senator Graham in those days. And Senator Graham was the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. But these are different times we're in. Apparently. So I present that to you. I titled the show today, Flying Objects. I want to conclude by saying, how do they think as you know the Gainesville City Commission ever got started. It got started by 1947 UFOs landing by the Lake of the Stupid and dropping out the genetic material that formed the now city fathers and mothers and whatevers of the Gainesville City Commission. Unidentified flying objects have been around forever. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And balloons and all the other thing. Well, one of the things I'm curious about is how high do the territorial borders of a nation go before you're not violating them? We made the argument with the U-2 when Dulles convinced Eisenhower that the U-2 would be over Russia photographing their installations and would not be detected and would not be would not be violating the territorial integrity of Russia, which was the Soviet Union then, because the borders don't go as high around a nation as the U-2 would be flying. And so Eisenhower okayed it. The rest is history. The U-2 had a flame out. It came down low enough to where it could be brought down by the Russian forces. And Francis Gary Powers, who was supposedly supposed to take a cyanide tablet, lived, and Khrushchev paraded him out at the United Nations after setting up the United States and saying to them, 
do you violate our territorial integrity? And we said, no. And they, Khrushchev said, well, what do we have here then? I remember that event very, very clearly. Very clearly. Quite a story. Quite a story. That's the show for today on the Ward Scott Files. And uh, wish you the best. We're all at Warthog Command Center out.